We are going to continue in our little Advent series looking at another song that came into Christmas. And today we're going to follow on from Zechariah's song that Richard preached so well last week. Uh, that was a joy to listen to, to refocus our heart on Christmas. And now we're going to look at Mary's song, which actually chronologically comes before Zechariah's, but anyway. And we are in Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to 55. And I've entitled my message today, The Song of the Humble. Let us read Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to 55. These are the words of God. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we ask that you may bless the reading and the preaching of your holy word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a classic book written by Donald Miller, controversial yet still a classic, called Blue Like Jazz. Not sure if you've ever read it. He opens the book with an author's note, and it's my favourite part of the entire book. So if you look, get a sample of it, all you need to do is read page one. Author's note says this. I never liked jazz music because jazz music doesn't resolve. But I was outside Baghdad Theatre in Portland one night when I saw a man playing the saxophone. I stood there for 15 minutes and he never opened his eyes. After that, I liked jazz music. Sometimes you have to watch somebody love something before you can love it yourself. It is as if they are showing you the way. It's true that there's something captivating about watching someone fully engrossed and fully enjoying what they are doing. Whether it's a jazz musician or a brilliant artist painting, if you've ever seen someone doing live painting, you just think, this is incredible. Or a passionate cook on one of those cooking shows. Or even an adventurous child trying to figure out a simple puzzle. But they're so captivated and totally engrossed and loving it when they get that piece in. It draws us in. As we see someone love something, if we're open, we may find ourselves loving it too. And that's why Mary's song is here in Scripture. It's here to be that jazz musician. As she closes her eyes, stretches out her hands, and lifts her voice in a beautiful song of praise to God, it's here to draw us in as well. It's here to make us want what she has. It's here to help us to love God like she loves God. 
so that we can sing just like Mary. Now, as Christmas comes in one week, it may be that this sort of contemplated, deliberate praise is probably the last thing in your mind and in your heart when you're outside of this church service. It may be that you want to want it, but are just finding it so hard to get your soul into gear. Your soul is frantic and frazzled or fearful. And you're finding it hard. You're frustrated. You're scared of all that's coming. And humble, joyful, beautiful worship like this is probably only going to come out of your Yui boom and not from your mouth uh, because your life is just so chaotic. Well, in God's kindness today, we, we have this passage to draw us back to God. We get to watch Mary worship and we are invited to worship with her. Do you want to worship God like she does this morning? Do you want to want God like she does this morning? Do you long for a heart of humble joy and adoration? Do you long for a meaning and a purpose and a satisfaction that is deeper than anything that this world can offer? More real than presence, family and feasting? Then lean in today and let's watch Mary and let's see and what the Lord will do. Three points for us today to help us watch Mary and help us have that song. Mary's story, Mary's song and our song, a very simple outline. But one main hope, the main hope is that we would joyfully join with Mary in humble adoration of our great God this Christmas. My hope is that this will help you to join with her and lift your soul and your song to God like she does. So let's jump into point number one, Mary's story. In order to understand where this comes from, we need to zoom out and get the context and see what a story it is. We know the Christmas story, but it bears, uh, it's worth slowing down and looking at it again because it is a remarkable story. It will help us to understand too some of the things that Mary says in her song. You know, remember, Mary is not at this point, you know, a beautiful picture in some Renaissance art gallery with a halo on her head. Mary's likely a 15 to 16-year-old girl who lives in the backwaters of Israel. She's from Nazareth. She's poor. She has low prospects in life. She's about to marry a lowly carpenter, Joseph. There's not much going for her. If you want to think of it, think of Mary in modern day terms as a young Afghani girl living in a cave under the oppression of Taliban. It's not a glorious picture. It's, it's a picture of weakness and, and low estate. And then Luke, who's the author of this account, gives us the backstory of how Mary came to be the blessed one that she is. So let us read Luke 1, 26. And I'm just going to read the, the Christmas story and commentate as we go. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, i.e. to the middle of nowhere, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, 
and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now imagine Mary in this moment. <laughs> she, she's no one in a nothing town, nothing going for her, of the lowest class, of the lowest people in the Roman Empire. And yet this glorious created figure by God, angelic and pure, comes to her and delivers this amazing message. You are favored and God, the covenant Lord, is with you. Luke continues, verse 29, she was greatly troubled at the saying. She probably thought she was in trouble. Uh, she's like, there's nothing <laughs> in me that would deserve that kind of praise. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Thankfully, the angel puts her out of her misery. Verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And then listen to this. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, or in Hebrew, Yeshua, which means Joshua, which means the Lord saves. He will be great, and we will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God, so the covenant God, Yahweh, will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, that is the Israelite people, the true people of God. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary would have been flabbergasted at this point. Even still, you put all those references to Jesus Christ together, we too should be flabbergasted at this moment. This is inconceivable. After 400 years of no true prophetic word, but a building and growing desire in the Israelite people for the Messiah to come, after 400 years of them losing their land, gaining it back, losing the temple, gaining it back, losing the temple, now the Romans have taken over, now they're not their own people. They are waiting for the Messiah. They are waiting for the promised David to come. They are hoping against all hope that the Messiah will come and come soon. Just like we hope for Jesus to return, they hope for the Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one to come. And now, an angel in Nazareth to a young virgin girl is telling her, he's coming through you. Mary asks a fair question though in reply, verse 34, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And we won't go into detail. I don't know if there's any kids in the room, but we know how it works and... She knows how it works and she's a bit confused. She's not yet married. And the angel answered her, verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So we have the Trinity here. Now she's learning of the Trinity for the first time that God the Most High will send his Holy Spirit to bring the Holy Son of God into her womb through an immaculate and miraculous conception. The angel goes on. Good news as well, family news. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is John the Baptist who we heard about last week. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. 
So sort of to prove his point, he's like, well, you can give birth to this God child because even your barren you know, cousin Elizabeth, your loved cousin Elizabeth, who's been longing for a child, she's pregnant. And that's going to be proof that all this will come true. And look at Mary's worshipful response. Oh, how I long uh, for the women and young women of our church and all the men of our church as well to respond like this. It's like that verse we sang, lover of my soul, I want to live for you. Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Different to Zechariah, who didn't come in faith and was mute for nine months as a result. Mary, the gift of faith and work of the Spirit, says, I'll be your servant. I'll do what you ask. Then verse 39 In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. So she travels, now pregnant, 70 miles, a long way, 100 kilometers, and she entered the house of Zechariah, who at this point can't speak, and greeted Elizabeth, her cousin, who was barren, and she would have seen the bump. And instantly, when she saw the bump, she would have thought, what the angel said is true. Now look what happens. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, John the Baptist, leaped in her womb. So the one who is going to declare the Messiah, that's John's role, he's already started moving and he's swimming about in praise and glory because God is in his presence. Elizabeth now is filled with the Holy Spirit. This is such a dynamic moment, isn't it? She's filled with the Holy Spirit and what does she do? Well, she praises. That's what people do when they're full of the Holy Spirit. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And look at her, her understanding of her need of salvation. Why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth knows she needs salvation. Elizabeth knows she needs a Messiah. And she somehow by the Spirit knows that the Lord, the Messiah, is here in her little cousin Mary. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. She'd obviously never felt that kind of leap before. She'd felt the moving, but not the tumble turns for Jesus. Uh, and so she knew something special is happening. All right, so we, we get a bit more of a context now. We get to see the picture painted. Mary, the peasant girl, is going to be the mother of the Messiah, who is the Son of God himself. Not just another king, not just a great political leader, but the Son of God whose kingdom will have no end. I wonder what that would have felt like to hear that. For the, we know it. But for the first time to think, there's going to be a forever king? A forever king. One who will never lose the throne. We're never going backwards, only forwards from here. She's blessed by her cousin, and she'll give birth to her own salvation. Mary, now, it's her jazz moment. Her eyes are closed, and she's going to sing. And for the next 15 minutes or so, we're going to listen to her song, and I hope that through listening to her song, we'll be joining in as well. Point two, Mary's song. Look at the beginning of her song in verse 46 to 47. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. 
those words uh, are where we get the title, The Magnificat, which is what this song is called, because in Latin, my soul magnifies, magnifies is magnificatus. That's, if you've ever wondered where the Magnificat comes from, that's where it comes from. And this is an opening extolling of God. She is now full of the Spirit, and the Spirit is inspiring her to do what the Holy Spirit does, which is lead us to praise God. So the first thing that comes out of her lips is praise God to God. She's been blessed by Elizabeth. She's been told of all of her great favor, but her response, what does she do? She directs it back up to the Lord. She sings a song of resolute, joyful, and humble praise that arises from the depth of her being. See how it says there in parallelism, which is a Hebrew way of making emphasis. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She's not making a distinction between soul and spirit. She's saying the same thing twice in different language to say, my whole being, all I have, everything magnifies God. It's, it's grasping at words. And if you've ever experienced this moment of just adoration and joy and worship, you know what this is like. You just can't, you don't have the, the language and the vocab to explain what's going on in your soul because you're just so full of praise to the Lord. Well, that's what is happening to Mary. But why does she break out in song? Well, why song here? Well, because song is the natural and instinctive action of the worshiper. Song is what we're created by God to do. He designed singing. He designed it as a gift to us. And it is the natural response all the way through the Bible of what God's people do when they love God. We see this in the world, you know, whether it's fans at the World Cup cheering on their team, gamblers at a racetrack cheering on their horse, an audience at a concert cheering on their band. Uh, even sometimes if you experience at the movies, at the end of a movie, people will clap. And obviously there's no one to receive the applause, but we can't not applause because that was such a great movie or that was such a great ending or, or someone clapped and then everyone just did it because one person did. But I've been in those moments and I've clapped at the end of a movie. Uh, but that's who I, you know, I'm weird like that. We see it uh, when a groom and a bride kiss at a wedding. No one says you have to cheer right now, but everyone does because it's beautiful. When we see something we love and truly cherish, we sing, we cheer, we clap. Mere words are not enough in the presence of our most beloved things. Song must go forth. Singing, cheering, and celebrating is a gift from God because it enables our whole body to be involved in the action. Bob Coughlin, in his great book, True Worshippers, counts that there's 400 times uh, in, in the Bible where it directs us to uh, references to singing. There's over 50 direct commands in the Bible to sing. Psalm 46 verse 7 has four commands in one verse. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. Now, singing is what worshippers do. It's what we're called to do as Christians. The angels sing at the birth of Christ. All the great acts of salvation end in song after they're delivered out of Exodus. What does Moses do? He sings. What does Miriam do? She sings. What are they doing in heaven? We get a sneak peek in Revelation. Well, they're singing. They're singing and they're singing and they're singing. God himself sings. 
Zephaniah 3.7 tells us that God sings over us. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, even with his disciples as they took communion, they sung hymns. Singing is not just something we do because we're sovereign grace church. Singing is biblical. Singing is what we are designed for in the presence of love because singing enables us to do something that speaking just doesn't fulfill. John Piper helpfully says this, The reason we sing is because there are depths and heights and intensities and kinds of emotions that will not be satisfactorily expressed by mere prosaic forms, that is, uh, normal writing, or even poetic readings, like MC Sam. There are realities that demand to break out of prose into poetry, and some demand that poetry be stretched into song. Singing is the Christian's way of saying... God is so great that thinking will not suffice. There must be deep feeling and talking will not suffice. There must be singing. I love that. I think Mary would have agreed. Dr. Piper, yes, there must be singing. I'm going to ask Henry to come up and help me for a moment. Is Henry here? Yeah. We see that just saying words, reading Mary's song, reading song lyrics is good, but doesn't quite do the same thing. The great hymn, Amazing Grace, is lovely. I'll read it to you in poetry form. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now is found, was blind, but now I see. Now let's hear it in song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Amen. Thank you, brother. <laughs> and I love that you couldn't help but join in. It proves my point. That wasn't planned. There's something different about saying it to singing it. That's why Mary sings. That's why we sing. And that's why we sing and encourage us to sing with our whole body, with our loud voice. If you read the Psalms, there's so many commands about not just what we sing, but how we sing. Raise a shout to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Clap. Raise your hands. Bow before him. Beat the drums. Play the cymbals. Do the strings. Whole body, whole soul, whole being for a holy God. It's what we're designed for. And we see it modelled in Mary. And I implore you, if you're not much of a singer with your whole soul and whole being, watch Mary and learn from her. See how she, what she says is that she magnifies the Lord. That is, she takes the telescope of her heart and directs it on God. 
and takes what looks so small without the telescope and blows it up and magnifies it so she can see in full detail. That's why Mary can sing, is because her thoughts aren't on herself. They're on the greatness of God. And if you're struggling to sing, thoughts off yourself, thoughts off this, thoughts off the band, thoughts off the room, thoughts, God and Jesus Christ, and your soul will swell. Secondly, we see in this song that Mary outlines personal reasons for her praise um, in verses 48 and 49. Look at what she says. So, you know, my soul magnifies the Lord, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary's now revealing personal reasons, which for the true believer, these in a, in a way could be our song as well. But for her, this was her reality. She's praising God because the God Almighty has looked on her humble estate. She's humble. She doesn't think she deserves God's answer or God's favor or God's blessing or God's privilege. But she's shocked that the God of the universe would look upon her. I'm just Mary. I'm just a young girl in Nazareth. But God would look upon me. You see, God loves humility. Probably the chief thing that he says about human character that he loves the most is humility. Those who know and believe they are of low estate like Mary. James chapter 4, verse 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Isaiah 66, a verse that Mary would have likely known, says this, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is this house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? I.e., no, I'm God, I don't need anything from you. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. And then he says, But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Ah, I think God came to Mary because she was humble. He loves humility. Uh, he loves to favor those who are humble. He looks upon the humble. She then declares, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And Mary is blessed. And we ought to recognize the blessing of Mary. We don't need to go where the Catholics go and start to create this doctrine that she's also sinless and she's the co-mediator with Christ. And that by praying to Mary, she will give us favor with Jesus. We all of that is rubbish. It's wrong. Uh, it's a distortion of the biblical text. And if you're from a Catholic background, unfortunately, you've been, you've been lied to. But on the flip side, Protestants, we can be like, oh, Mary, it's just Mary, you know, just like anyone. No, no, no. She's blessed. And we ought to recognize the blessing and the favor on her life. She recognizes, as we saw, that she needs a savior. So she's not perfect in and of herself. She's going to give birth to her own salvation. And so she is blessed. She's blessed because now she's got a savior. And thirdly, she praises God because the mighty one has done great things for her. Just restating the same. The mighty one, the creator of the heavens and earth, has done great things for her. And so she caps it all off with one more exclamation, and holy is his name. Now, she just can't believe it. 
She can't believe all she's been given. And so she's got this song of whole body, whole soul in praise to God. Do you feel that joy at times? Do you experience those type of things because of the Spirit in you? We have hymns. I want to read to you one hymn that we love to sing here, Praise to the Lord. And this kind of captures the feeling. And we, when we sing it, you, you ought not to sing this boringly. I think it dishonors God. <laughs> praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is thy health and salvation. All ye who hear, now to His temple draw near, join me in glad adoration. Praise to the Lord. Oh, let all that is in me adore Him. All that hath life and breath, come now with praises before him. Let the Amen sound from his people again, gladly forever adore him. Mary would have been singing that loud and proud and joyfully. And I am so glad that we're a church that sings so well. It gives great honor to God. Now Mary, in the next verses, 50 to 55, turns from personal reasons of praise to prophetic praise. Um, in verses 50, you'll notice that the language changes from personal to corporate pronouns. Verse 50 says, and this is good news, lean in on this, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. She's moved from the personal to the corporate. Anyone who fears the Lord, well, guess what? Mercy is coming your way. <laughs> this is good news and reason to praise and then in verses 51 to 53, she begins to talk in the past tense, in the aorist tense in the Greek, which is the tense which signifies a completed action. And she's not actually talking about Israel now. She's actually prophesying into the future what her baby will do, but speaking of it so certainly that she uses past tense verbs. So although these all relate to things that happen in Israel, it's most likely that what she's actually doing is prophesying what her baby will do. And so sure that these things will come to pass that she says it's already happened. So now she's praising God because this is what Jesus came to do. He has shown his strength, verse 51, with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Remember, God opposes the proud. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Notice here the reversals that will take place through Jesus. The proud of heart will be scattered. The mighty will be removed from their power and pomp. And the rich will be sent away empty-handed. The common theme here is not so much the social position, but actually the spiritual condition of each of those three people. The, the spiritual condition is the opposite of those of the humble and low estate. The proud, the mighty the rich, those who think, and if there's anyone here who thinks you are self-sufficient, you have low thoughts of God, no real need for God to be involved in your life, no real soul song coming out of you, because why would you sing to God? I mean, what's he ever done? Who is he? Oh. Well, Jesus has come to turn the kingdom of this world upside down. And he brings those who think they're something and makes them nothing. And takes those who think they're nothing and make them something in him. 
God has no time for those who are self-sufficient and self-exalting. And in the end, they will have nothing but judgment from him. But the good news is, friends, if you are of humble estate in your soul, if you realize spiritually I'm poor, pathetic, and lowly, if you seek God because you know you're stained with sin and you need salvation like Mary and Elizabeth, then you have blessings coming for you. This is why Mary is praising and prophetically singing. And the Lord Jesus Christ, when he came and taught in the Sermon on the Mount, he reiterates these same things. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And we see in Christ's ministry when he heals the leper, reaches out to the centurion's son, uh, heals the Syrophoenician woman, comes for the weak, the lowly tax collectors like Levi. That's who he comes from. But those who are proud and self-indulgent and self-sufficient, well, he curses and casts judgment upon them. All you need to do, though, is recognize that you are unworthy of his grace and humble yourself before God, and then you get in on all the blessings that the Son brings. Christianity is not a system of earnings or status or position. It's actually a religion of emptying yourself and recognizing you need God, and then he does all the filling for you. It's all grace. It's all good news. And so young virgins in the backwaters of Nazareth can sing because she doesn't have any power. She doesn't have any riches. She doesn't have any pomp. She doesn't have anything to her name, but she has God and she has a savior and therefore she has everything. And she ends with rejoicing in God's faithfulness over the generations. The promise to Abraham is being fulfilled. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of, of his mercy. He doesn't forget. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. <laughs> this is good news. God always keeps his promises. He promised that a savior would come through the line of Abraham to be a blessing to all the earth. And now he is here and Mary knows it. So the reason Mary's singing and praising is because it's all God. It's all what God's going to do it's nothing through her. She's just a vessel. And so she's a glad recipient. It's a celebration of grace, this song. Christmas is a celebration of grace for those who receive the Christ. So what a song Mary has. The jazz has been playing. And I hope you're being drawn in and feeling your soul swelling with joy for the Lord. Point three, our song. Donald Miller said, sometimes you have to watch somebody love something before you can love it yourself. It's as if they are showing you the way. Mary's showing us the way this morning, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Her joy, her praise, her adoration, her focus on God and His grace, He's been set on display to help you and I to know how to worship God in the way He wants to be worshipped. It may be that you've got lots going on, You've got lots of thoughts. You've even got lots of brokenness and pain and, and you're a bit confused this Christmas um, or that you're not able to steady yourself and, and focus in. Well, 
That's why we have this passage. <laughs> That's why we have church, to realign ourselves. Do you want to want God like Mary does? Do you long for a heart of joy and adoration? Do you long for a meaning and purpose and satisfaction that is deeper than anything that Christmas can offer? Well, to sing like Mary, the good news is this. We don't need to have the same circumstance. Indeed, none of us can be the virgin mother of God. Uh, None of us have Jesus in our womb. We can't have the same circumstance as Mary, but we can have the same heart. There's one thing about Mary that we can all pursue. And in pursuing this, we'll find that our heart song will soar. And that is a heart of humility before God. Lowly thoughts of self lead to lofty songs of praise. Lowly thoughts of self lead to lofty songs of praise. The degree to which you see yourself as lowly and of humble estate and desperate in need before God is the degree to which the height of your song will be. Don't need God much, don't have much to sing about. Desperately need God, have a desperate song that goes in conjunction. This is what the Apostle Paul said of the Corinthian church. It's the, we ought to have as a church, like Mary, the I can't believe this kind of sense. Like, I can't believe I get to be a Christian and be at church on a Sunday morning. This is ridiculous because look at who I am. Look at who I was before Christ came. Paul says, for consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. I don't know of any in this room. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in, his, or boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So that, as it is written in Jeremiah, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We can follow Mary's heart. She knew she was a nothing nobody. And so she's singing because she can't believe what God has given to her through Christ. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and she doesn't deserve any of it. And I encourage you this morning to get your eyes off yourself and get your eyes onto the Savior. Magnify the Lord by focusing in on him, not on all that you got to do, but on him and you'll find your soul will swell. There's a great hymn that says this so well. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. That's the song we can sing when we realize we're nothing. 
And Charles Wesley wrote, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me whom him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldest die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldest die for me? We can rejoice like Mary if we recognize we have nothing to bring to the table other than our sin. But in Christ, we have all our sins forgiven. We have hope of heaven. We have an eternal kingdom awaiting us. And therefore, our song can resound. Well, friends, do you have a song this morning? Do you have a song this morning? Bob Coughlin in his book, True Worshippers, says this, The critical question is not, do I have a voice? But do I have a song? And if you are a true worshipper, forgiven and reconciled to God through the atoning work of Christ, the answer is a resounding yes. If you don't feel like you have a song this morning, maybe you need to do some work to reorient your heart back on the Lord. Or it may be that you're not actually yet a Christian. If you never have a song, you're probably not yet a Christian and you need to become a Christian and be filled with the Holy Spirit and then you'll find a song will start to come. And Mary's song can be your song today if that's your position. The song has a warning. If you remain self-sufficient and self-dependent and self-exalting, well, Jesus comes to crush that and bring it down. But his mercy is for those who fear him. And if you turn from your way of living and turn to Jesus and fear him today, well, then you'll be caught up in that great salvation. So friends, you might not like jazz music, <laughs> but perhaps if you watch someone play for 15 minutes on the saxophone outside of Baghdad Theatre in Portland, Oregon, maybe you'd like jazz music. But greater than that, I hope that by watching Mary praise God through the Spirit, you've been caught up in the beauty and grandeur of the gospel again this morning and that you'll start to sing like she has sung. We're going to end our time by singing a song written by Sovereign Grace musicians called He Who Is Mighty. Uh, the band can come up as I explain. It's, it's a song which is based on this song, Mary's song, and based on Zechariah's song. And it's a chance for us to literally join with Mary and sing with her. It's a perfect way to end our time. Uh, so would you please stand as I pray for us and as we sing. Lord, I thank you so much that we have a song to sing. And now, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit afresh that we would sing it with our whole soul and our whole body. In Jesus' name, amen.